ask me the questions, Bridgekeeper. I'm not afraid. What is your name? My name is Sir Lancelot of Camelot. What is your quest? To seek the Holy Grail. <laughs> Welcome to the beautiful campus of LCMSU, everyone. Who are you? I am the Chancellor. Yeah, baby. <laughs> Master Marcus Zill. And... Pastor Bill Reedy is the Director of Admissions at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. How are you doing today, Bill? I am doing well. Thanks, Marcus. You're out and about, as admissions directors often are, uh, traveling all over the place. So where, where do you happen to be as we're talking here? I'm actually pulled off on the side of the road near Sacramento, California. Are you in, are you in um, trouble with the law? I, uh, the officer has just <laughs> left and he said, I'm cleared. So <laughs> no, I just played, but so you're out in Sacramento area, right? We have our, uh, we have a troop, uh, three professors and two pastors from the St. Louis area who present the entire gospel of Mark, uh, from memory. They together have memorized over a hundred verses each. And they do a presentation as they think it might've been done in the day when it was delivered orally. So we'll be in Sacramento tomorrow night and uh, then in the Bay Area uh, coming up on Saturday and then following up with another uh, presentation coming up in April in the um, Columbus and Cincinnati, Ohio area. Okay, fascinating. Um, and then there's how many of them again? Five total. Five total. And, uh, of course, now, Mark, if I recall, it's the shortest of the four Gospels. Not that it's not impressive. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, where can somebody go to find out about this? Sure. Probably the easiest is to go to CSL, Concordia, St. Louis, csl.edu, and just put in the search box, uh, Gospel of Mark, and there'll be information about upcoming presentations as well as opportunities to see vignettes from the actual presentation itself. Excellent. And I imagine while you're out there uh, dodging fires, which hopefully are going to subsist soon, although it doesn't look good, and our prayers are, of course, with, with everybody struggling with, with all that's out there. I mean, there's certainly been great loss. But I imagine you're doing a little recruiting at the same time. You're always, you're always recruiting, right? <laughs> it's like uh, once you're a Christian, it seems you're always... Excuse me. Finding opportunities to tell about the good news that you have, and as a as a recruiter, you're very focused on. Oh, is this yet another person that I should be talking to? So we're very intentional. We've invited all the people that we know to be interested in pursuing pastoral or diaconal ministry. We've invited them to come to the presentation, and also uh, I'll be at a couple churches just to spend time visiting with people who have questions and want to explore ministry. 
Now, obviously, most people know that we, we have two seminaries. How often are you out on the road? How big of a staff do you have? You know, just give us the landscape a little bit. We are very blessed to have as our senior administrative assistant, Diane Parker, who is the anchor for our entire department because she doesn't travel. So she's there to always answer people's questions. And in the end, when we do surveys to find out how we can improve uh, the services we provided during the year prior to somebody enrolling. Really, we're really only finding out that Diane does all of our work. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have three counselors who are on the road every year, roughly divided into 2,000 congregations each. uh, So we cover a third of Synod each. We each have uh, two to three or four Concordias that we visit as well as campus ministries. And also we visit elementary schools because of the number of contacts we make prior to uh, inviting them to one of our high school events. So we do a number of things on the road, but we're also looking more at using technology so that we can travel even further without even leaving our office because uh, we want to make good use of webinars and having opportunities to actually talk with people without having to make a trip specifically to some of the more remote areas. It's easy to uh, pinpoint where there's larger congregations and a, a heavier concentration of, of people, but that's not always where our students come from. They come from the most rural and the most urban. So sure. uh, we can't always visit everywhere. So we'd like to get more information out in ways that makes that more accessible. Yeah, as someone that travels a lot myself, as I always tell people, I'm very talented, but I'm not yet omnipresent. So, <laughs> uh, anyways, well, thank you for what you do, and and let's talk a little bit. I asked you what what you'd like to talk about today, and uh, had uh, Pastor Matt Wheatfelt, the uh, uh, your compadre and and fellow counterpart at the at the other seminary, Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne, on last week, he talked about discerning vocation, and you suggested talking about finding a needle in the haystack. What do you mean by that? Well, Marcus, probably the thing that I've learned most clearly, uh, not only does the spirit move when and where he pleases, uh, bringing people to faith, but how things have changed from when I first started at Concordia and Arbor in 1978 until I started working at the seminary in 2011, it used to be that there was just this ongoing uh, stream of men and women going into uh, formation for ministry, mm-hmm. whether that was the teachers or going uh, to the seminary. And it, it, the steady stream was very evident because at that time, Concordia and Arbor grew from a two-year college to a four-year college. They were graduating uh, the first class of pre-seminary students the year that I began. And then while I was there, they added on a four-year teacher program. And so the demand was there and the opportunity was there. I would say when I first started at the seminary as a student, the degree to which I had been recruited, uh, nothing against the people who were responsible for recruitment and admissions, but we kind of came. We didn't really, we weren't heavily uh, recruited. We were mostly trying to discern which seminary, more so than whether or not... uh, we thought we were going to pursue pastoral ministry. So, so the reason why rec- that makes recruitment way different, very different, because it sounds in theory now going out trying to find people that, given enough uh, 
social media and in the publications of Synod and in our own magazine and so on, you would think that eventually we'll reach somebody, but um, that's not always the case anymore. So the reason why I talk about being a needle in a haystack is that, say, for example, I'm on the road today, and how do I know where I'm going to find somebody unless somebody has already encouraged that person to either come to a Gospel of Mark presentation or the church where I'm visiting. Mm-hmm. Um, the analogy I like or the story I like is uh, imagine if a farmer wanted to uh, be a, a dairy farmer. So he took his milking stool, stood out in the middle of the field, looked around, decided this was as good a spot as any, sat down <laughs> on his stool and waited for a cow to come by. It's just not an effective way. <laughs> now, don't think that I'm trying to refer to church workers as animals that wander aimlessly um, or that recruiters just sit in empty rooms all day. The, the, the thing point is, is though, you wouldn't do it that way. You'd have to go get the cows. Right. You go First, you look to where they are already, whether we're going to a campus ministry or if we're going to uh, one of our Concordias, that's a little bit of fishing in the barrel. We at least know they're there. But the part that I just long for is rekindle a desire like the Sunday school teacher I had in third grade. I made just a comment about thinking I might be a pastor someday. And she remembered that and kept on reminding me of that thought. And she was in no me- in, by no means forcing me but she made sure that she was a good encourager. And she what grade saw, was it? Third grade. Wow. Yeah, you know, and, when, when a little, when a cute little kid, you know, says, hey, I want to be a pastor just like Pastor so-and-so, or just, you know, we tend to think it's just kind of, oh, they're being cute. You know, we don't usually, I, mean, I don't think most people think there's anything to that other than that's their way of saying they appreciate, you know, what maybe they've seen a pastor do for them. Correct. Um, but uh, that was fairly foundational for you and formational. And that's still the case when we get referrals from individuals and to, to pick on you as a pastor and me as a pastor, that the statistics is we've gone from 94% of our students said their pastor was a significant influence on them pursuing the thought of becoming a pastor. We're now down to roughly 63, 64%. Now it's still kind of back to my third grade Sunday school teacher. There are other people that have had uh, a role in that. So it makes us question, you know, perhaps why they're not being recommended. So we've asked, and some of them it's due to uh, perhaps conflict within the congregation. And he doesn't feel the pastor himself doesn't feel strongly about uh, necessarily uh, being an encourager at that time. Others are very busy or in dual parishes or the pastor is newer or any reason under the sun. It's very important that we be faithful in what we do, but also see the people that we're communicating with, teaching, bringing up in the faith, that we also say, oh, I see in the students that I have in confirmation class or at the youth group or wherever it is, that um, I think there's something inside each of us that says, I think that person could perhaps be a, a church worker, whether it be pastor, teacher, DCE, deaconess. Mm-hmm. Perhaps they've not thought of it. And it was different when I was in third grade, and I mentioned it to the Sunday school teacher, but the number of stories I continue to hear 
where somebody said to somebody, even a second career man, have you thought about being a pastor? Your presence in leading or in this situation or that, I think you would do very well as a pastor. And those are the ones we like to have contact with. My dad was a pastor and he, uh, it was seventh grade. The president of the synod is going back to the, you know, mid to late forties. And the president of the, the synod sent a note to everybody and every pastor in the synod and said, look at your confirmation classes, men. <laughs> you know, who do you got? Everybody, if everybody picks one kid and says, you know what, this young man should be a pastor. You know, uh, we just don't, we don't do that. Any- why, why do you think we're afraid? You know, I, I think of my own, my own two sons are, have both maybe thought about it before. Obviously, they've grown up with their dad as a pastor. They've had me as their pastor. If you can think about it that way, they've been around good pastors. You know, I talk to them about all sorts of other things that they might think about doing or kids dream about all sorts of, why are we so afraid to mention it? I think my own theory, and this is completely a hypothesis that hasn't been proven by, um, I certainly read from Pew Research, I read, other people that have written on church vocations and why the decline, then you look at the decline of attendance in churches in general, so on. You can go down that route, but I think one of the reasons why we're hesitant is that we want our our children to be challenged to consider where their gifts are, and those are not usually the ones that come to, to the top first. We'll be thinking about whether they want to pursue something in the sciences or perhaps in education or in research. We certainly didn't know about Silicon Valley. Uh, when I was in elementary school, we, were, uh, we weren't using an abacus, but um, we did sometimes have access to a calculator. Um, now I think the menu of career opportunities is so broad that um, something is as specific and very much a vocation and eventually a calling is something that is very hard to talk about because it is it isn't as concrete as say oh you have good math skills you have uh you can say you have good rapport with people but there's not as some of the benchmarks that people might think in terms of what do you see in their education leading to middle school and high school what kinds of things do they seem to be presenting themselves good for when you talk about something like being a pastor that is such a small niche market, if you will, that some people might be a little cautious because why? Why Why do I think this person would be very good in a church vocation? Because we don't have as many handles to put on it to say the markers are there, except for the fact that we see them being faithful in their worship attendance, they're involved with youth, and... Um, we are always thinking of all these other vocations. So it's true. It's, think not, it's, it's not like something where it's like, well, what am I good at? Well, I like math. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand those people because I'm not good at math. But if you like math, then what do you do? Well, I guess I'll be an engineer. And in fact, it's interesting. The, the hard sciences, I think, are so dominating. The, the, I, I did an informal study about 10 years ago um, of most of our campus ministries, and I asked everybody, if you look at your five or 10 most faithful students that come to everything and are super involved are they in the soft sciences or the hard Mm. sciences and it was over 90 percent but you're right you don't sit there and go well you know i mean there's nothing and certainly at a public school they're not going to have those kind of markers to go you know this test that we had you take in the counseling office says you should be a pastor 
So right. it's really it's really on us, and it really bothers me to to hear that the 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 influence of the pastor has kind of you know diminished in a way in terms of what young men are saying because frankly it should be number one and I think it needs to be number one especially when you consider that we don't have as many people we don't have maybe quite as many schools as we used to have where they're coming up like you in in an elementary school and I went to a Lutheran elementary school this is this is that much more important and pastors can be incredibly influential. And, and two examples that I like to use, not a, because they're delightful examples, but two realities are that if you think of a congregation that has roughly 200 people in worship on a Sunday, and if they're served by one pastor, it doesn't take somebody with a higher degree in math to figure out the percentage of pastor to people is always extremely low. So with that in mind, if you think about the number of kids in a congregation, even if one in a hundred would come forward and be uh, trained for church work, I don't know what those statistics would actually look like in the in the long run, but we're certainly, um, there's so few church workers when you think about how many people that they end up serving, hmm. especially when um, the economy and giving and everything comes to play. How many pastors uh, would be would it be ideal to have at that congregation versus what exactly can they can they afford? And that's part of why I think some people stay away from it is they're afraid of the afraid of the the thought that going to a circuit meeting, going to a winkle, or being at certain things. We all know of cases where pastors have not been able to support themselves or have had some serious struggles financially. But uh, I can say that I was blessed. I've never, I've never had to go without. I would say in some ways I've grown in my stewardship. I've understood more of how to do it. But um, when coming back to the needle in the haystack, it's interesting to talk with young people about that when they might still be thinking in terms of, well, my parents have achieved this level, and that's kind of what I see as my baseline, mm. and I want to go beyond what my parents have. Mm. So... You know, we can talk about the values. We can talk about what that means. What makes it very challenging is when a child or a young adult or a second career person starts feeling that that tug to have the encouragers, the people that are alongside to say, I think you should explore this. I think you should um, be in touch with pastor, with other people, and continue to find out what this means so that you can be a steward of those gifts and use them for the church. When you think about it going forward, though, we are the, the, the boomer generation among us, the pastors in the Missouri Synod. I mean, we're, we're going to have great need coming forward, right? I mean, at, at some point, you know, lots of, lots of college students, I'm, you know, obviously I think about college students, that's what I focus on. But, you know, many times they think, well, I remember 15 years ago, they were like, well, we're, there's going to be a great market for engineers, you know, down the line. And well, now there's a glut of engineers, engineers everywhere. And at some point, not not that you want to encourage people to go to seminary because there's going to be a great need, but there is going to be a great need, isn't there? And actually, even in 2018, because uh, this year, in 2017, my understanding was there were 60 or more calls that there were specific, the congregations were specifically looking for a candidate from the seminary. They weren't uh, at that time calling from the field, but 60 calls that were uh, not filled because there weren't additional pastors. So in one, on one hand, it's great to be able to assure 
the men and women who come to a seminary that they're going to have 100% placement. But on the other hand, when you see it from the congregation's perspective, that it's a, it's a very tight understanding of what the reality is that there's just not enough people in the market. And it's looking at it completely from a business standpoint. Sure. We're very blessed that it doesn't have to be a financial burden to um, an extreme financial burden, uh, given the amount of financial aid and such, but still that discernment of call. Um, I think there's some people I think that would argue that, oh, we just need to let people know how wonderful our seminaries are and to present those and make that. But it's uh, most of what I do is not sitting around explaining the process of how to apply, but rather walking individually or with a couple of people to talk about what, how do you discern your call? So once you find that needle in the haystack, he actually comes forward or somebody points them out to you, then um, there's that, that nurturing process that, what does this mean? How do I, uh, what is the training process? How do I know if God wants me to be a church worker? Well, don't, and, uh, don't people don't people kind of have this false understanding that God's going to zap them like Luther on the road in the rainstorm with the lightning bolt, or you know, God speaking like in Monty Python's Holy Grail, Arthur, Arthur, you're supposed to go to seminary. <laughs> I, I I really do think people that think that there's got to be some that there's got to be some some moment. Um, no, I wish it did. I wish it did that he would work in such a way that there would be no doubt. Yeah, your but, job would be um, a lot easier that way, wouldn't it? I mean, God, you could, you could just put the stool out there, and God would make God would make the cows come to you like like they came to the came to Noah getting ready to get on the ark. <laughs> right, and for us, I I think that part of that, you know, the discernment and everything, and trying to help people understand how that is, I I reduce it down to a very basic level that. If you have well-tuned guts, you know, you know, when we talk about the laws written on our hearts, we know what's right and wrong, even if we go against it. But I think also the more people are thinking about their vocation, so on and so forth, eventually you get to a point where in your heart of hearts, probably we would call that your guts, you know that at least it's worth going to the next level and exploring it sure. through additional study or finding out what it would take to do it. I know even as a pastor, when it came down to where I was issued a call from, um, whether it was a congregation or when I was called to the seminary, that there is no handwriting on the wall um, that's going to explain to me why I should go or not go. And we can talk all day about the fact that you have the call to which you're currently serving plus the other one, and you're trying to discern this. And I know it's easy to talk about making a pros and a cons list and various other things. But at the end of the day, I think it, it does come down to your guts and how God works in your heart to help you and God make works, that decision. God works through means. And, well, we're kind of uh, close to out of time here, but where can someone go to, uh, to learn more about CSL and find all your admission stuff? And tell us a little bit about the green and gold days that you guys put on that are coming up here. Sure. Um, we have a brand new website. It was just relaunched in the last couple of weeks. So we hope that it's as user-friendly as it, as it seems to be, that you can go to csl.edu and click on um, admissions and the whole process will be explained there and put you in touch with human beings, the other two counselors and myself, or good old Diane, who is always faithful. Um, 
but also if it's possible for people to come and visit us um, the same way people pick universities or pick a uh, when they're go- exploring, it's better to go and see. And Absolutely. so we invite people to come and spend a day in the life of a seminarian uh, or a deaconess student. And that comes through the green and gold days that are actually coming up on November 3rd. And then we'll be repeated again in February and again in April. So if you go to our website, you can see the dates. But you spend half the day literally with students going to class and having lunch with them and seeing it from not a perspective, the perspective of a recruiter, but seeing from people that have actually enrolled and are taking classes and can help talk about what their experience was, see what it's like in class, but then also hear uh, specific information about financial aid, about housing, because we have on-campus housing that's available. We can tell you about other options in the community. Um, All those are to help you physically be in the presence of the institution, but more importantly, the people who make up the institution and to get a feel for what it would actually be like if you uh, were to explore going into full-time ministry. Well, fantastic. I encourage everybody to check that out, csl.edu. Bill, always great to talk to you, and thanks for talking to us about finding a needle in a haystack, and uh, God bless you on your travels and your recruiting. Thank you very much, Marcus. I look forward to talking again soon. Take No, now go away or I shall taunt you a second time. College is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Check us out at lcmsu.org. Bye.